You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. The reading today is from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 25. Meanwhile, Saul was still spewing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, seeking letters to the synagogues in Damascus. If he found persons who belonged to the way, whether men or women, these letters would authorize him to take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. During the journey, as he approached Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven encircled him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice asking him, Saul, Saul, why are you harassing me? Saul asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are harassing, came the reply. Now get up and enter the city. You will be told what you must do. Those traveling with him stood there speechless. They heard the voice, but saw no one. After they picked Saul up from the ground, he opened his eyes, but he couldn't see. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and neither ate nor drank anything. In Damascus, there was a certain disciple named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision. Ananias? He answered, Yes, Lord. The Lord instructed him, Go to Judah's house on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias enter and put his hands on him to restore his sight. Ananias countered, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man. People say he has done horrible things to your holy people in Jerusalem. He's here with authority from the chief priest to arrest everyone who calls on your name. The Lord replied, Go, this man is the agent I have chosen to carry my name before Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Ananias went to the house. He placed his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord sent me, Jesus, who appeared to you on the way as you were coming here. He sent me so that you could see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, flakes fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After eating, he regained his strength. He stayed with the disciples in Damascus for several days. Right away, he began to preach about Jesus in the synagogues. He is God's son, he declared. Everyone who heard him was baffled. They questioned each other. Isn't he the one who was wreaking havoc among those in Jerusalem who called on his name? Hadn't he come here to take those same people as prisoners to the chief priests? But Saul grew stronger and stronger. He confused the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After this had gone on for some time, the Jews hatched a plot to kill Saul. However, he found out about their scheme. They were keeping watch at the city gates around the clock so they could assassinate him. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the city wall. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Gracious God, cleanse my heart, my mind, and my lips as you cleanse the lips of your prophet Isaiah with the burning coal, that I may preach your good news, not mine, and that your people will hear your word in spite of my failings. Amen. Our society, our culture, and our religion, they're not working very well. 
Suffering, fear, violence, injustice, greed, and vanity are all around us. I, I wasn't kidding when I counseled you earlier and you folks at home watching us to turn off the damn news. Apart from the agonies of the world, our news purveyors make their profits is not just telling us about the horrors, but doing it again and again and again. Fear and anxiety are our constant companions these days. Our society not only promotes fear and anxiety, it thrives on it, and most importantly, profits from these fears and anxieties. Have you heard what many want to do to meet school shootings? Arm the teachers, buy more guns, have more police, more money for the gun dealers. Notice the Supreme Court's opinion cutting down gun safety laws was grounded on the view of the rights of citizens to protect themselves. That is to meet the fear they may have, that we may have of others. The court wasn't inventing that fear. It was reflecting the societal norm of that fear. Fear, anxiety. Think closer to home. How many of you live by anxiety? I was very successful as a lawyer. And one reason I was very successful is I went to work every day anxious, afraid. Why not? I was rewarded a lot for that anxiety. Anxiety is rewarded in this society. It rests on a definition of competition and success on a society where scarcity is the carrot that's held out on that stick in front of our collective noses. A society, as one minister recently told me, how is it that it's easier to get guns and ammunitions and body armor than to get formula for babies? When was the last time? Not that you felt anxious. When was the last time that you didn't feel anxious? You remember that time? Getting anxious about that assignment or that promotion, about a meeting, about your finances, about getting your child into that favorite daycare. I, I remember when my oldest, who's 42 now, I remember 40 plus years ago, spending the night in a parking lot so that he could be sure to get into the daycare that was going to be good for him. In McLaren's book, we've been using that so far this year as our walk through scripture. And this section that we've just finished, he's called Alive in the Global Uprising. We've been going through this book, and today we finish this section, Alive in a Global Uprising. Recall, we, we began this section with the Sermon on the Mount and a choice to follow our teaching rabbi, a choice to follow him into a different world where the meek inherit the earth. We then went through the victory of Palm Sunday, the delight of that first communion supper, the Passover supper, and then into the horrors of betrayal and passion and crucifixion. And then through that to the great change of Easter and the Easter uprising, 
And with that uprising, we explored with McLaren the uprising of fellowship and discipleship, worship and partnership and stewardship as we seek to form a new society, a new way of being, a new way of living, a new way of thinking, a new way of coming together into a community. We're exploring a new way of living in a fear-filled, violence-filled, injustice-filled, greed-filled world. Today's reading puts us in the middle of that new way of living, in that fear-filled, violence-filled, injustice-filled, greed-filled world. Now, ostensibly, we're reading the story of Paul, and, and McLaren focuses on Paul and, and Paul getting the strength to, to undertake a life that will take him into a world of pain. We're reading about Paul's great conversion and how after first becoming a basket case, he ends this section by being lowered in a basket. And as McLaren points up, we're taking seriously the words of the Lord. This man is the agent I've chosen. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And as Paul was wont to often remind us in his letters, he did suffer. The shipwreck, arrest, beatings, and finally death. McLaren focuses on finding strength in God. And that's true. And our call to worship reflects that. But I'm not concerned with Paul. For that matter, I've never really cottoned to Paul. I have to confess, I find Paul to be very annoying. I think if I would be with him, I would have found him to be just a great pain in the ass. He really is so filled with himself. No, my hero in this story is Ananias. In Damascus, there was a certain disciple named Ananias. In the Greek, it's the follower of the way. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, Ananias. And he answered, yes, Lord. He answered his vision. The Lord instructed him, go to Judas's house on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias enter and put his hands on him to restore his sight. Ananias countered, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man. People say he's done horrible things to your holy people in Jerusalem. He's here with authority from the chief priest to arrest everyone who calls on your name. Damascus is not a big town. They know what Saul is. They know why he's there. And they're undoubtedly hiding from him. And the Lord replied, Go. This man is the agent I've chosen to carry my name before Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. Go. So Ananias went to the house and placed his hands on Saul. Have you ever been anxious, really anxious about meeting someone? Anxious to the point of being afraid to confront someone? A boss or a supervisor, a parent, a bully, an authority, a teacher, a judge? How do you really feel when you see the blue lights in your rearview mirror and you get pulled over. Don't you have that little feeling right here? 
Have you been anxious, really anxious? Lord, I have heard many reports about this man. People say he's done horrible things to your holy people in Jerusalem. He's here to get us. Can you picture a Jew going to a Gestapo agent? That's what Ananias is being asked to do. The people in Damascus know what's going on. Ananias isn't stupid. He's being sent into harm's way and he knows it. But he goes. How does he feel? You know, I don't see him marching down the street boldly, you know, proclaiming I'm on a mission from God. I see him taking the longest walk of his life. But we're only told he went. And what does he do when he gets there? He begins by calling Saul brother. Brother. The one who's done nothing but violence to those of Ananias' community. Brother to a man of violence who's now in his hands. The guy who's giving you grief, the guy who is trying to kill you and your children is blind and in your power Being blind, of course, is a metaphor. Let those with eyes to see, let them see. And here we have Saul, Paul, having hands gently laid on him, seeing the world in a new light. And did you catch what happens next after the scales fall from now Paul's eyes? He got up and was baptized. Who baptized him? Ananias. Ananias lets this man into the community on nothing but a say-so. After eating, he regained his strength, Paul did. He stayed with the disciples in Damascus for several days. How did he get entry to the disciples? On Ananias' say-so. No one had a thought that this Saul, Paul, might just be playing a game to get in, to find out who they were, to take their names. It's almost a reprise of the story of the Good Samaritan, except here the one who acts with compassion does does so from a place of deep vulnerability. So we have a question. How do we bring sight to others in the face of our own fears and anxieties? How do we go about raising up the blind? especially those who are blinded by fear and by anxiety and by violence, blinded enough to act out their violence. Let me suggest three ways. And it's the three I suggested earlier to the parents and caregivers. Be aware. That is, wake up to the violence and its source and be aware of the other's pain and fear. This is one of the lessons of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, those with ears, let them hear. With eyes, let them see. Be aware. Wake up. Be present. Be open to the other. Let your heart be open together. These two acts, always conscious acts of awareness and presence, is the beginning of compassion. And Aeneas has compassion. And lastly, strive to be the example, the model. And Aeneas opens his heart and opens his community. 
We say this as being in the world and not of it. It's to follow Jesus. Now, another question is, how are we Christians different? You know, what I put out, being aware, being awake, being present, being an example, I mean, that is fundamental to most creeds and beliefs in our world. What makes it different for us? How are Christians different from other good people? First and foremost, we rest in the sure knowledge that we do not have to succeed. We follow a Lord who tells us not to be troubled. We follow a Lord that says, peace be with you. These are words of comfort that others don't get. It's part of being saved, saved from an anxious and fearful world that can only measure success through the failure and the loss and death. It can only measure success against a culture of scarcity. And, and, and not being troubled and having peace is part of being a repenting people, repenting in the true meaning of that word to change our lives, to follow the risen Christ. We can rise up the blind because we ourselves were blind and risen up with Christ in our baptism and our baptismal promise to confront evil in all its forms, including the evil that resides within us. In short, we're different because like Ananias, we've been told to go to the blind. Amen.